0: Hopefully by now you've located your bibles and uh you've taken the dust off of them hopefully there's no dust on them but but uh, and you found uh chapter 37 of genesis and uh we're going to go back to our story of joseph but first let's go to the lord in prayer father we just again thank you for your word we thank you for the encouragement we find in your word and lord uh oh how we need encouragement today we're living in very difficult times lord times that that uh, your Bible warned us would come, uh, Lord, and so uh, you've you've given us that warning, Lord, and you've given us the ways to be prepared for such uh, times as these, and, and Lord, you've given us examples of people who have gone through such times as these, and so, Lord, as we look at Joseph today, what an example he is, uh, and what an encouragement uh, his life is, Lord, because through his life, we see you working out your master plan for for not only his life but for the world during during that time and so, Lord, we can learn a lot from the story today and be encouraged today, uh, even in the midst of these very difficult times and So, I ask Lord that you bless this study today, and I bless everyone who's listening, Lord, open their ears uh, by the power of your holy Spirit, encourage them, Lord, strengthen them uh, Lord uh just for all of us we just ask that d- during this difficult time lord that we we are drawn closer to jesus christ our savior lord that we experience him in a new and fresh way lord and that you empower us to, to help those around us and lord again we just ask you for your blessings on the service and on our lives we ask that in the name of jesus christ it's in his name that i pray amen when i was looking for a text today uh, I wanted a text that was applicable uh, to the times in which we live and a, t- a text that would encourage everybody who was listening and, I, and at first I thought about going to one of the Psalms or or maybe to the minor prophets uh, for a message but but then I thought about it and I don't think there's a more encouraging text in the Bible and a more applicable text in the Bible than, than this story of Joseph which is where we left off last time uh, when we were in Genesis because... Joseph's situation that he was in in chapter 37 of Genesis is very similar to the situation in which we're in today. Joseph lived in a time when the love of many had waxed cold. I mean, it was so bad that even his own brothers hated him to the point that they wanted to kill him. And God was about to judge the land with a famine. And uh, so God uh, is going to use Joseph, it's strange how God works. He brings judgment, but he always brings relief for that judgment, usually in the form of some person or some uh, nation or some group of people who, who uh, can help bring uh, the people relief during that judgment. And, and God's master plan for uh, a God who is a sovereign God was working his master plan through Joseph uh, not only to save Israel, but to save many people in the whole world. Now, when I talk about the sovereignty of God, when you speak of God being sovereign, what do, what do we mean by that? We mean that, that, that God is in control of the entire creation. He's in control of everything that happens in creation. And when we speak of providence, we're talking about the means God uses uh, to, to, to work out his sovereign will. But here's the problem, and here's the problem we have as humans as we watch God work. Uh, God works within the boundaries of men's free will. And so it takes time for God to work out his master plan for mankind. And a lot of times things just don't seem to be working out when God is on his throne and everything's just fine with him and he's going to work out his plan in his time. And, and often it seems that things take some really strange turns as, as God is working out his master plan. And, and that's the case in Joseph's life and really it's the case in our own lives too. God doesn't seem to work as fast as we want him to work. He doesn't work in the ways we want him to work. But you can better, you better believe this. He is always working things out in our lives. And everything that happens in our lives is part of God's master plan for our lives. Uh, we saw God's sovereign province working in Joseph's life. when we, If you go to Genesis chapter 37, when we looked at the first part of the chapter... God was working in some strange ways, but he was working out a plan for Joseph to become the deliverer of Israel, uh, the, the deliverer of his brothers who were going to try to kill him, the deliverer of Jacob and his family and all of their children and grandchildren. And, uh, but, and, and he was working out this plan in Joseph's life way back when Joseph was in Hebron. And we looked in the first part of the chapter, he, and I say he worked in really strange ways because one of the things he used... Uh, to begin to work in Joseph's life was his father's favoritism. I mean, you don't think of favoritism as a a godly thing, but God was using Jacob's favoritism actually to get Jacob's brothers to hate him. Uh, You remember Jacob made that coat of many colors, and and, uh, as soon as he put that coat on and he made uh, Joseph leader over uh, his brothers, his brothers hated him all the more. And then God did something else. He gave Joseph two dreams, and in those dreams in both of those dreams, uh, the interpretation was that the brothers would one day bow down before Joseph, and that made the brothers hate Joseph even more. So what was God doing here? Well, what he was doing, he was using their hatred, it was part of his master plan to move joseph, who was a who was pretty much a, a spoiled brat, out of his father's uh in Hebron and move him to Egypt and where was he heading? He was heading to Egypt and he was heading to the school of hard knocks where God was going to prepare him for the great mission that he had for Joseph. Now as we get back to our text in in Genesis chapter 37 we're going to pick up in verse number 12 and we're going to see the next step that God uses in his master plan uh, for Joseph's life. So pick back up with me in verse number 12 and And look at what it says there. It says, then, after Joseph had these two dreams, after his brothers hated him about as much as they could hate him, his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Now, Shechem is about 60 miles north of Hebron, and so they moved the sheep 60 miles north. It wasn't uncommon in those days to move the sheep hundreds of miles to find different grazing land. Because if you've ever seen sheep graze on land, they pretty much eat it bare. And so you've got to let the land rest. And they own land in Shechem probably still because they had lived in Shechem and had that plot of land in Shechem. So they went up to Shechem to graze the sheep about, about uh, 60 miles north of, of Hebron. And, and uh, so the next, in the next verse, verse number 13, And Israel, or Jacob, said to Joseph, they had been up there a while, and he says to his son Joseph, he says, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come and I will send you to them. And Joseph was willing and ready to go. Look at what he says. He said, so he said to him, here I am. Hey, I'm I'm ready to go. I'll show these guys who's boss. And uh, if they're not towing the line, dad, I'll come back and I'll tell you. That was pretty much his attitude. Now, I don't think Joseph nor Jacob understood how dangerous the situation was. Just how much those brothers hated Joseph and how much they were willing to even kill Joseph. And we're going to see this as we, as we go on. Pick up in verse number 14. It says, Then he said to them, or Jacob said to him, to Joseph, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers, and well with the flocks, and bring back a report to me, or word to me. So he sent him out of, out of the valley of Hebron, and he made the 60-mile trip up to Shechem. And once he gets to Shechem, his brothers aren't there. And so a certain man found him, and there he was. here's Joseph, he, he's kind of lost, and he, he can't find his brothers. And a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, "What are you seeking?" So he said, "I am seeking my brothers." Tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man obviously had seen them because they had thousands of sheep. So they didn't go unnoticed. So uh, he, he said, look, the man said, they have departed from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them in Dothan. Now, it would make sense that they would go to Dothan because the very word Dothan means wells or two wells. And so they went up there, more than likely to look for water. Now, when they got there, I don't think they found any water because the cisterns were dry. Actually, one of those pits was one of the cisterns that were dry. One of those the, the, one of those pits would be the pit that they would throw Joseph into. And so they get up there and they're pretty frustrated, and 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 they made that long arduous trip to find water, and they don't find any water, and they got a thousand or so sheep to feed, and and they're up there and look who's coming. I mean, right on cue, here comes old pompous Joseph. And, and, and they're ticked because they don't have any water. They're ticked because they've made all of these journeys with these sheep. And here comes Joseph, who, who's going to try to boss them around. So now when they saw him, verse number 18, far off, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him. To kill him so here they are they're camped up on a plateau probably on a meadow and they've got the sheep and camp with them and 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 they look out down in the valley and they the first thing they see is that coat of many colors and that just made them mad and they see joseph coming and and so they conspire how they can kill him uh this is nothing short of premeditated murder that's what's in their heart They're, they're they're uh they're they're ready to kill him. Now we're going to see Reuben and we're going to see Judah. Maybe show some signs of some redeeming characteristics here, but but the rest of these guys and really Reuben and Judah too, they're they're, they're nothing short of hoodlums, and they hate their brother and and uh, they 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 want him dead. So look what they say in verse number nineteen. Then they said to one another, "Look, this dreamer." Now the word dreamer there is the word. Used for a professional dreamer, a professional interpreter of dreams, a prophet, a seer. And, and, and they say, look, the dreamer. They don't say, look, Joseph is coming. They say, look, the dreamer is coming. The one who dreamed that we would bow down to him. Well, let, let's see if, he, if that's going to really work out that way. Come, therefore, and let us now kill him. Hey, if we kill him, there's no way his, his dreams are going to come true. So let's kill him and cast him into some pit and, and, uh, and we shall say, shall, some wild beast has devoured him, and we'll, we shall see what will become of that dreamer. We'll see if his dreams will become true. We're going to stop his dreams from becoming true. they got a problem, though. they got a problem because where did those dreams come from? Those dreams came from God. And if God said that one day they're going to bow down to Joseph, one da- day they're going to bow down to Joseph. And so there's nothing they can do to stop God. Uh, there's nothing they can do to stop God's master plan from coming true no matter how hard they try to stop it. In fact, their very hatred of Joseph and their very plans to do evil to Joseph are going to be the very things that God is going to use as part of his master plan for Joseph's life. His perfect plan to raise Joseph up to second command over all of Egypt, uh, over the entire Egyptian Empire, a plan that eventually would save Israel and many people in the, in the world, and it would save their children and it would save the nation of Israel. Now, here's the question you got to ask because there's a lot of evil things going on here, but they're all part of God's master plan. Now, the question you want to ask does that mean that God originates evil? in order to fulfill his plans? I mean, that's been a theological question that's been been bannered around uh, for centuries. But 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 I think Chuck Swindog is a very good answer to that in his commentary on Joseph's life. Listen to what he says, and I agree with this 100%. He says, while God is not the author of evil and he never prompts or condones sins, nothing incur- occurs without his sovereign oversight. Others may choose to do evil deeds and God's people may suffer in the short term, but he will transform the evil intentions of evil people into opportunities for the enrichment of those in his care. You get that? He's going to turn their evil into opportunities for the enrichment of those in his care. And that's exactly what's happening here uh, to Joseph. God is using their desire to kill Joseph, to do harm to Joseph, uh, for Joseph's good. So God's not going to let them kill Joseph. Uh, He's going to stop them. Now, the first way he begins to stop them is he puts fear into Reuben's heart. And that's what we're going to see in the next few verses. Look at verse number 21. In verse number 21, it says, But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands. Now, he doesn't actually take them away, but he has a plan to save Joseph. And he said, hey, let us not kill him. And, and Reuben said to them, the reason Reuben is, is trying to save Joseph is because he wants to save his own hide. It's not that he loves Joseph so much. He, I don't think he loves Joseph. But he knows that he's the oldest. He's the one who's responsible for Joseph. And if something happens to Joseph, who happens to be Jacob's favorite, then, then he's going to pay, have some repercussions for that. So he wants—he doesn't want him dead. And so Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, and we'll figure out later on what we want to do with this dreamer. I mean, we've got to do something with him, but, but uh, hey, we can't kill him. And really all along it was Reuben's plan to, to save Joseph because look what he says. It says that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. uh, Reuben didn't want the responsibility or the blood on his hands for killing Joseph. And his plan was to get him back to Jacob. Now, verse number 23. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph. Now, watch how cruel and harsh these guys are. I mean, it's just almost unimaginable that, that brothers would do this to brothers. So it came to pass that when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him in and they don't lower him down into that cistern, into that well, into that pit. They cast him. They just threw him off into that pit. And if God wasn't protecting, him, he would probably broke every bone in his body. But they cast him into a, a pit, a pit that was empty and there was no water. And I imagine how Joseph feels at this point. His own brothers. They strip him of his coat. They they he's naked and they throw him down into that pit. He falls into that pit. It's dark. It's not damp. It's dry. It's dark. And he's got to be scared to death. I mean, what are they going to do to me? I mean just put yourself in his shoes for a minute. How, how terrible this had to be? And they sat down, and what do they do? They ate a meal. But I mean, it shows how cruel and callous these guys are. I mean, would you hey? Throw our brother into a pit, naked, uh, scared, uh, might kill him. He might have broken every bone in his body. And what do they do? They sit down and they eat a meal. And then they lifted their eyes and looked. Here, here's God, part of God's master plan happening right on cue. Here comes the transportation modes God is going to use to get Joseph to Egypt. Right on cue. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites or Midianites. It's the same group. Uh, Ishmael and Midian were sons of Abraham. And, and uh, this group probably had gotten together over the years and, and uh, inbred with, with each other. And, and uh, so you have this, they call them Ishmaelites or they call them Midianites, but they were a group of traders, And they're coming right on cue from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh uh, to take to Egypt. Uh, they, they traded there in Egypt. Uh, and so Judah, God touches Judah heart, Ju- Judah's heart, and he comes up with a plan of his own. And, but again, his plan is going to fit God's master plan. God's orchestrating all of this. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there to kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let not watch his moral piety here. Look at what he says. He says, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listen. I mean, what moral piety, what a hypocrite. I mean, remember when, when, when they slaughtered all the men of Shechem, they said they did that out of, out of, out of a moral obligation for their sister. I mean, here are these guys, and, and now they've got a moral obligation not to kill their brother, just to sell him off to slavery. I mean you can't justify your immorality with some little bit of morality. So 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 these guys were nothing more than hypocrites. Uh, but anyway, the brothers listened, and the Mediabanite traders passed by, so so the brothers pulled Joseph up out and lifted him up out of the pit. I'm reading verse twenty-eight now, and said to him and and, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. That's it. And these guys were wealthy man, you know what I mean? It's just really sad that they'd sell their own brother for 20 shekels of silver. It kind of reminds you of Judas selling Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. And at this point, Reuben has left, and he's probably told him he's gone to go out and try to find some water or find a watering hole for the sheep. Uh, and he, what he's, his plan was to wait until they fell asleep, and then he was going to pull Jacob out of that pit and send Jacob home. And so in verse number 29, Reuben returns to the pit and he, to his shock, he looks down in the pit and Joseph was not in the pit. And he tears his clothes because he knows he is responsible for Joseph. And he returned to his brothers and woke them up and he said, the lad is no more. What have y'all done with the lad? And, 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 and what am I to do? Where am I going to go? How can I go back home when, 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 when y'all have done something very evil to Joseph and uh, dad's going to be pretty ticked about that. And I'm going to be responsible for that. So how am I going to go back home? And so they said, look, we got a plan. We sold him to the Midianites. And here's our, here's our plan, verse number uh, 31. So they took Joseph's tunic and they killed a kid of goats and they dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said they, they give it to the servants and the servants bring it to their father And uh, the servants say to Jacob, do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? Well, there was no other tunic like that in the world. So obviously this was Joseph's tunic. And immediately he recognized it. And he said, it is my son's tunic. And he says a wild beast. He fell for for the trick. He said a wild beast had devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. So Jacob sees this tunic, he immediately recognizes it as Joseph's tunic, Uh, he sees the blood on the tunic, and he comes to the conclusion that his son is dead. Now, here's what he failed to notice, at least at this point. He failed to notice, I mean, what would have happened if a lion had tore Joseph to pieces? What would have happened to the tunic? That he was wearing it would have been torn to pieces too but Jacob is so distraught he's so much in shock and grief that he at this point he doesn't even notice that they've deceived him he should have put two and two together the brothers hated Joseph the tunic wasn't torn and so these brothers had done some sort of evil to his son now, I think later on Jacob figured this out and that's why you have such a of an even even colder relationship between these older brothers and and their father that you see later on because I think he figures this out later on, but Joseph was afraid of them. You know that's really sad that you would raise up your your own sons and be afraid of your sons. But but that's what happens when you don't raise your kids right. At some point you're kind of afraid of your kids, and that's where where uh, Jacob was at this point. He was afraid of 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 his. His, his own sons, and he was afraid to confront them. And I think he knew at some point that his own sons had killed their brother jo- and his son, uh, Joseph. All right, now, let's finish it up here in verse number 34. Then Jacob tore his clothes. He put on sackcloth on his waist and, and mourned. For his son, many days. I mean, many, many, many days. I don't think he ever quit mourning for his son until he saw him again. We know the story. He's going to see him again one day. And all of his sons came back from Dauphin. And all of his daughters and his sons arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down to the grave in my to, to my son to mourning. And this his father Thus his father wept for Joseph. Now, it shows you how little Jacob cared for his other sons. I mean, as far as Jacob was concerned, life wasn't worth living anymore because he had lost his really his only son in his mind. I mean, maybe Benjamin he loved a little bit, but I don't think he cared much for these older sons. I mean, they weren't worth living for. And he was ready to die because Joseph was gone. It shows how little uh, Jacob cared for these other sons, but it also shows how little these sons cared for Jacob because uh, to let their father mourn like that when their brother was still alive was really, really cruel and cold-hearted and and just shows how little they, they cared for their father. But then now we get back to the story and back to God's plan and back to God's master plan For Joseph's life. And that's where we finish in verse number 36. Now, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So here's Joseph. He's sold to Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a prominent Egyptian official. uh, uh, who just happened to come to the slave market on the day that the Midianites brought Joseph there uh, and and Joseph stood out because joseph hadn 't been a slave for 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 any time any time, period of time and so so he still had his teeth, he still had a full body he didn 't show signs of starvation he didn 't show signs of being whipped he didn 't show signs of he hadn 't lost his teeth and so so uh, he was a pretty good specimen of a of a, of a slave to buy, and so Potiphar sees Joseph being sold on the market, and Potiphar is is the uh, the commander of the, or the uh, captain of the guard, and so he bids on Joseph, and I don't think many people would bid against him, because you're bidding against a guy who has a lot of power, you're bidding against a guy who could put you in jail if he wants to put you in jail, uh, so, so uh, I don't think many people bid with him, and Joseph became his property, and uh, there he is, exactly where God wants him to be exactly in the bullseye of God's will now, I don't think Joseph felt he was in the bullseye of God's will I mean just imagine how bad he felt at this point I mean I mean his own brothers had betrayed him and and, and sold him into slavery I mean he's hungry he's tired He's all alone in a foreign land. He's in chains. He's been sold to a man. He's in a household where he doesn't even speak the language, and he's deeply homesick. He's yearning for his for his daddy and his mama or his stepmama. And he's and, and besides resenting his brothers at this point, I think maybe he even resented God a little bit. I mean, I mean, I mean, God, how could you allow this to happen to me? I mean, it just doesn't seem. Fair. Well, well, I got news for Joseph at this point. It's not going to seem fair for a long time. He's got 13 years of a hard life in front of him. I mean, he's got he's going to become a slave, be a slave. He is a slave at this point. Uh, he's going to become a prisoner and he's going to experience some really long, hard, uh, terrible years. But God is going to use those years. They're, all those years are part of God's master plan to, to, for Joseph to be raised up to the second highest position in all the land, uh, to, uh, to, 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 to where every knee would bow uh, before him, including his father, his mother, and his brothers, just as Joseph had seen in those dreams. It was a few years uh, away. But it was going to happen just as God had said it was going to happen. You know, that should sound familiar. God's master plan for Joseph is very similar to the master plan he had for Jesus Christ, isn't it? I mean, Jesus Christ came into his own, but his own received him not. And they turned him over to the Romans to be beaten and crucified and buried in a grave. But it was all part of God's master plan to save the world from their sin. And and God's master plan for all of us includes a lot of suffering, but it always leads to glory. Paul puts it like, or I'm sorry, Peter puts it like this in Second Peter, chapter two, verse 21, he says, for this, you were called to suffering for this. You were called for Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example to follow. We can expect to suffer when we suffer. It's part of God's master plan to enrich us, to bring us to glory. That's that's his plan. His plan is always good. In Jerry Bridges' book entitled Trusting God, he rightly states that one of the things that most distinguishes believers from unbelievers is that even our sufferings are not happenstance, but they are part of the providence of a sovereign, all-powerful, and all-loving God. Therefore, our suffering has meaning and purpose and part of and are part of God's eternal plan. For our future glory and our future good. Suffering has its purpose in our lives. And and that means that sometimes we're going to have good days and sometimes we're going to have bad days. But all of those days, whether they seem good to us or bad to us, in God's eyes are good. And they're all part of God's master plan for our life. David says this in Psalm 139. Verse number six, beginning in verse number 16. Listen to what he said. He says, your eyes saw me, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, all my days were written. All my days were fashioned for me. When when there were yet none of them. In other words, it's part of God's master plan for us to have good days and for us to have bad days. All of those days have been uh, written or fashioned by God. And and they were fashioned when there were none of them. So what's happening to us now, here in the United States of America, here in Lafayette, Louisiana, is no surprise to God. God knew before we were born that we were going to go through the days that we're going through, days like we're going through right now. And they all have purpose. They have good purpose. I sent this text to a friend of mine as an encouragement this past week, and he sent me back the perfect response to, to Psalms 139, verses 16 through 18. He sent me Proverbs nineteen twenty one, and listen to what it, what it says. It says, there are many plans in a man's heart, nevertheless, it is the Lord's plan or counsel that will stand. There are many plans in a man's heart, and yet it is the Lord's counsel that will stand. See, that puts perfect balance on Psalm 139. Uh, Every day, because every day we don't follow God's plans. We like to implement our own plans for our life. And and so we try to do things our way. And and not only that, we have enemies, especially Satan, who's trying to thwart God's plan for our life. But in the end, no matter how bad we mess up, or no matter how bad Satan tries to thwart God's plans for our life, in the end, it's the plan of God that will stand. It always stands. Back on March the 10th, I was scheduled to make a trip to Israel, a 10-day trip to Israel. And I'd been in the hospital right before that. But when I got out, I was still determined to make that trip. And the reason I was determined to make that trip is because I'm cheap. And I, and I'm, but that trip wasn't cheap. And, and uh, I'm cheap, and I didn't want to lose all that money because we weren't going to get all that money back if I didn't make that trip. So I was going to drag myself to Israel. I was determined to drag myself to Israel no matter what. And we were gone. And my kids were saying, please don't go. And people were praying for me. We're praying that you don't go. I said, don't pray that. Just pray that God will take care of me while I'm there. And that's what I was praying. And I was bound and determined to go. And on on, on March the 9th, we packed up our bags. And, and we had them all packed. And we were getting ready to go to bed. And uh, at about 10 o'clock, right at, right at 10 o'clock, Benjamin Netanyahu announced that he had, he had shut down the entire country uh uh to foreign travel that he would not allow any visitors in to the uh israel unless they went on a voluntary 14-day quarantine and they would have to have a place to where they could live out that quarantine if they didn't they couldn't stay you would send them right back uh and so uh he uh said we're not letting anybody virtually we're not letting anybody in and that includes americans uh Uh, anybody from the United States of America so it was my plan to go but it was not God's plan for me to go and the good news for me because I'm cheap is because he canceled the trip for me I got all my money back and we didn't lose any money and and so it worked out just fine from that standpoint but what I mean what does all that have to do with you and today in your situation with this coronavirus I mean, what does Joseph's story have to do with you and this coronavirus? Well, here's what I want you to see. This coronavirus, I believe, is all part of the master plan that God has for each and every one of us. Now, it might be his plan to take us home. I I hope I don't go home that way, but that might be it. But it's all part of his master plan. Listen to what David says in Psalm 103, verse 19. He says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. He's not going anywhere, is what David's saying. He's on his throne. He will never abdicate his throne. And he is sovereign over what? All things. All things. He's sovereign over all things, and that includes the coronavirus. I mean, God is sovereign over that virus. I had said a week or so ago that I thought maybe that virus might have been cooked up in a lab in, in uh, China, in Wuhan. Uh, I kind of back off of that now, really back off of that now. If you study this virus, and I'm not an expert on it by any means, but if you look at this virus, I don't believe any human could have cooked this up. It's pretty amazing how it works. I know all of you have seen the picture of the virus. You've seen the little silver ball with like these red suction cups coming up out of the ball. Those red suction cups, this is an airborne virus, and what happens, it gets into your lungs, and that virus just floats around in your lung, and it looks for a place to land on your lung lining. And those little suction cups attach to the cells in the l- lungs. And, they, and they're, it's like a Trojan horse. The cell reads the information on that little suction, what looks like a suction cup. It reads the information and it tells the cell, this is good for you. So the cell opens up and lets the virus in and absorbs the virus. And then once the virus is in the cell, it injects DNA information Lots of DNA information in the cell, which with really, you could sum it up in two commands. One is reproduce the virus and kill yourself. That's what it does. And so what happens, the, the cells are letting the virus in. You We get it in airborne and then the cells are letting the virus in. And then it's beginning to kill off all the cells. And then the antibodies come in to attack the virus. And the virus is inside the cell and... And, the, and it's so prolific and it multiplies so fast because of these instructions that the antibodies actually go crazy. And they begin to attack good cells and bad cells. Eventually what happens is the lining of the lungs, the cells that make up the lining of the lung, are eaten up. And then that's why you've got to have the ventilators because bacteria gets into the lungs and there's no lining there to protect the lungs and, and people can't breathe. And once that lining's gone, I don't know that that can be replaced. And that makes us that much more of a terrible disease. It's really, really bad. But, but when you look at this, the way it, and again, I'm no expert, and I'm giving you kind of a layman's interpretation of this. You can go online and you can, you can look on YouTube and, and different sites and you can see different scientific presentations of how this virus attacks the cells and sum it all up, but it's something similar to that. And what it cries out to me, it screams out, design. There is design even in what we consider an evil virus. And I know I'm probably got some people raising their eyebrows right now. But here's the conclusion I come to. That it's supernaturally designed. Now, it's either designed by the devil or some, you know, dark spirit. Or it's designed by God. But either choice you make there. If God's still on his throne and he's sovereign over all things, and I know he is, if he's not, he's not God. If if that's the case, then God is allowing this virus. Now, I got to tell you, that's really, really good news. That's good news because we sing that song. God is good. He's good all the time. And that is true. All everything God does, he does for good. Now, as human beings, we ask the question just like Joseph when he's in that pit and he's down in that later on when he's in prison. I mean, he asks the question, what good is coming from this? He doesn't see it. But there's going to be a a lot of good that's going to come to the world because Joseph's in that pit. And I believe there's a lot of good that's going to come to this world because because of this virus. I mean, what good can come of it, you ask? Well, let me tell you one of the things that's going to happen here. This is the judgment of God. And judgment is good. The Bible is full of judgment. You're reading the wrong Bible if you don't see that. God, this Bible, in the end, is all about God judging wickedness and evil and wiping it out. That's what it's about. And giving an alternative. Alternative where we can become righteous and good, and when God is through with His plan, His master plan, the only thing that's going to be left is goodness and righteousness. Everything else is going to be wiped out. And 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 you kind of get a picture of this in this virus because you look at the things that have been stopped by this virus. I was looking at a list the other day, and and I know schools are closed. Well, that's good and bad. I could say. You know, I know restaurants are closed. I mean, I hate for the restaurants to be closed. I hate for what's happening to the workers and stuff. I know all that. You know, that's, a lot of people are suffering and people are ill. That's, that's all seems bad. But, but let me tell you what else is closed. The bars are closed. The massage parlors are closed. The NBA is closed. You might think that's a good, good it shouldn't be closed. I, personally, I don't care. Tattoo parlors are closed. Rock concerts are shut down. Movie theaters are shut down. Racetracks are shut down. Casinos are shut down. Guess what? In most states, abortion clinics are shut down because abortion is considered selective surgery. And so they can't do abortions right now. You see all those things that are shut down. And, and, and you know what's happening? People are, look at how bad this is. People are at home and they have to spend time with their families. You know, look how wonderful that is. That's good. That's good. And, and, and I, I think at some point we'll come out of this and we'll go back to all of these things maybe before the apocalypse comes. But, but man, I, we ought to be a, embracing this time. And and, 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 and uh, it brings me to the second thing that I think is good about this. I, I really believe we're getting a taste of the apocalypse right now. I really believe we are. I really believe we're getting a taste of what it's going to be like to in, in the end times of the great tribulation. Now, as a church, we're not going to go through that. But we're getting a taste of it. And, and, and I tell you what, everybody's cages have been rattled here. I mean, and, 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 and our lives have been shaken. And, and we are forced to face our mortality and our need for God. Like no other time before. And especially as believers, I got to tell you, as a believer, I have never been as focused on God as I am now. I mean, I really, I really, if this is going to be it, I want to be really close to God when it happens. You're not going to see me watching a bunch of garbage right now. I I, I am. I am focused on the Lord. You need to be focused on the Lord. You don't wait till you get the virus. Don't wait to, you know, to the trumpet blows and we're called up yet focused on the Lord. That's a really, really good thing. And if you don't see your need for the Lord at this point, I got to tell you, 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 you're not going to see your need for the Lord. Hopefully a lot of people are seeing their need for the Lord. And hopefully soon we're going to see some sort of revival in the United States of America. I mean, I, wouldn't it be fantastic if this thing moves people in such a way that they say, look, man, this, you know, it, it, it could this could be it. I mean, I could die tomorrow. I mean, the reality of my death is, is, is staring me right in my face. I need to get focused on God. And maybe people will get focused on God and, and there'll be some great revival. You know what? I don't think so. Because before the Antichrist comes, first comes the apostasy. Then comes the revealing of the Antichrist. And I think we're in the apostasy stage right now. Maybe there'll be a few people that are revived. And that's what's going to be our job as members of the church to be ready to give any man an answer who asks for an answer and and, and, and we're only going to be able to do that if we're really, really close to the Lord. And then the third good that I see in this is that part of God's master plan, I mean the main part of God's master plan is the ending. When he brings Jesus Christ back to this earth as king of kings to rule and reign forever when every knee will bow and every tongue confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And guys, I got to tell you. Unless your head is stuck in the sand somewhere. You ought to see we are getting really, really close to that day. People see it. And, 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 And you see things happening that are leading up to the return of Christ. I mean, we're right there. I mean, Gordon Brown, who, the former prime minister of Great Britain this past week, said that he believed that the, we have to go to a one-world government with a one-world leader. Bill Gates is advocating that when they give out the vaccines that we all have to take a chip that, that uh, we can't buy or sell without that chip. Does that sound familiar? All that comes right out of the Bible. But let me tell you what, before any of that happens, before, we're told in 2nd... Thessalonians chapter 2, before those things happen, that which with restrains evil now will be removed. That's the church. The church is going to be removed out of here before all of that happens. And I tell you what, it's getting close to happening. So we need to be looking up because our redemption draweth nigh. And I don't think there's any better news than that. Lord, get me out of here. Take me out of here today as far as I'm concerned. Take me and my family and all my brothers and sisters in Christ and take us out of here. Is that going to happen today? I don't think so. But but listen, it's going to happen really soon. And we need to be ready. We need to be drawing near to the Lord. And listen, you and I do not have to worry no matter what comes our way. As Brandon said earlier, we don't have to worry. If God's eyes are on the spare his eyes are on us. In 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse 9, we're told that God knows how to take care of his own during tribulation. And he knows how to take care of every single one of you. He knows how to take care of me. He knows he, he his plans for us are good. They were written by him every day of his of our lives. The plan for our life was written down before the foundation of the world. And in the end, the Lord's plan for our life is what's going to be fulfilled and nobody's going to stop it. That's why we know that all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We're told that in Romans chapter 8. We know that because and we know that good is the plan that God has for us. It's all part of his master plan for our life to bring us home to glory to be with him forever take courage take strength find joy and even in these difficult times we got so much to be thankful for let's pray father we just thank you for your goodness we thank you for your strength we thank you for your mercy we thank you for your joy we thank you for your faith that you give us we thank you for the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ we thank you that no matter what happens in this world Lord you have a plan for us and it's a good plan and things are going to work out for our good Lord that's only applies to those who are born again believers who truly have been born again Lord I ask today if there's anybody watching this uh, via this webcast that doesn't know you as their savior lord that today be the day of their salvation that lord that you open their hearts and and lord convict them of their sin their need for a savior lord and 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 lord that's a choice they have to make but we just lord i just ask that you inspire them and and, and impact them in such a way in their lives that they make that choice father we just pray for great things to happen Uh, through this virus we know you're on your throne we know you're sovereign over all of this and lord we can trust you we just thank you and christ